0: everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes, a Pinstripe Prospects and Pinstripe Perspective podcast. Uh, as we're recording, the Yankees are getting no hit through six innings by Lucas Giolito, uh, but we'll put that behind us for the time being because I have a question to ask. Matt, as the only one joining me today, are we happy
1: today? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I actually uh, am happy. I just wanted a page to Page out of the Cameron thought- Toe playbook. Yeah, I just felt like it would be weird if I if we didn't have that in the pod. And mm-hmm. so in paying homage to our good friend Toe, who's not on the pod tonight, I just had to do the Toe intro. But no, I I am happy because the Yankees just took a series from the Dodgers. I mean, you know, that's, I think, ideally what we would all love to see as maybe the World Series matchup, if we could map it out for ourselves. So the fact that the Yankees went into LA and took a series is awesome. And, you know, apart from the, First inning meltdown, which we'll get into in the first game, the series was essentially wire-to-wire an amazing series for the Yankees. So hard not to be satisfied with how things went over the weekend.
0: I would have to agree, and I would have to say I was pretty surprised they took two out of three in that series, especially after that first game with the Severino implosion. Uh, But it was nice to see Donaldson and Stanton hit homers in their immediate returns, Uh, and then obviously game two, Story there was the Bowers, two homers. Uh, And then game three, Volpe with the big late homer. And you kind of like just cleanly take two out of three from the Dodgers. I just think it is funny how every time these two teams play, everyone loves to say how this is like the dream World Series matchup. And that's kind of been the case since 2018. Uh, But yet we cannot avoid the obscure World Series matchups. Everyone's like, oh, we want Yankees-Dodgers, but all we've gotten is Nationals-Astros, Braves-Astros, Dodgers-Tampa, and just a bunch of weird stuff. So leave it to uh, to Yankee fans to talk about how everyone wants the Yankees and the Dodgers in the World Series. But two uh, pretty underachieving organizations, at least relative to their expectations over the last six years.
1: It's true. I mean, you know, the Dodgers... Had a historically great regular season last year, won the most games of any team since the '98 Yankees, and couldn't even make it as far as the NLCS. So, it's I mean, it's tough. And we we don't need to document in any further detail on this pod about how the Yankees have underachieved the last few years relative to expectations. So you're right. I mean, in my mind's eye, I'm like, yeah, of course, I want to see Yankees-Dodgers World Series. But have those two teams been the best teams on the field for the last few years? Of course, they have not. You know, it's it's been disappointing results for both for both franchises.
0: Yes, and of course, I forgot to mention that on Sunday, uh, Domingo Herman did have six and two thirds innings, uh, only allowing one earned run, fresh off his suspension, uh, and presumably was not using a foreign substance. So once again, Domingo Herman quietly proving to everyone that he might just be a good pitcher. And no one really has been willing to fully embrace that yet. And I've said before, I think it's because no one really likes the guy. But he comes out every fifth fifth day and is uh, putting up really solid starts. So I'm not going to complain much about that. But I think we need to get into the biggest story of the week, at least from a Yankees perspective. Uh, Aaron Judge Togate. Uh and if Toe, aha, pun intended, were here, uh, I'm sure he'd be having a field day with all of the theatrics surrounding uh, this injury. So Toe smashed into that wall on Sunday. No, on Saturday. Excuse me. Sat out the Sunday game. Um, and we got the update, so we hit the wall sun- Saturday, and then Sunday, he's just not in the lineup. And everyone's kind of freaking out, assuming Judge is hurt. Then we get the update that he hurt his toe. So we, that's all we have going into the game. The game finishes. And then post game we get probably the strangest quote you could get from a player that just sat out a game due to an injury. So Brian Hoke asked Judge if he felt like he had a broken toe. And Judge's response was, quote, it's tough to say, you know, I've never broken a toe, so we'll see. We'll see what the tests say. I don't want to throw anything out there just yet. As someone that has broken their toe, uh, there's not many tests beyond an x-ray. And I have a hunch that uh, there's an x-ray machine in Dodger Stadium that can tell the team if Aaron Judge has a broken toe. So I don't know what to make of that quote. It sounds like a quote from someone who probably does have a broken toe and is actually just deciding whether or not it's like so serious to the point where he needs to like go on the IL or if it's like, oh, I can kind of just play
1: through this because like it's a broken toe. There's nothing you can really do about it. What say you? Okay. Well, first of all, I have to say that the title of this podcast has to be Toegate, T-O-H type <laughs> gate. So that has, we have to lock that in right now. And just quickly, before we get too far into the judge conversation, because you mentioned Domingo Herman, he is having a good year. And the one difference in what he's doing this year versus previous years is that he's actually limiting hard contact. It's not that his stuff is that different. It's not that he's, you know, has suddenly found a new pitch that's overpowering hitters, but he is limiting hard contact. He has a 70th percentile average exit velocity this year, which is the best number of his career. So... I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to dig further into the specifics of what he's doing, but we do know that he's limiting hard contact in a way that he has not previously. So that's a useful pitcher as a fourth or fifth starter, sixth starter, whatever it is. That's a guy that's useful. So props to Domingo guy. I've definitely piled my fair share of criticism on in the past, but he's figured out a way to make it work. But on to judge almost poetically horrifying that you know, we're all at this point talking about how Judge is essentially duplicating his 2022 campaign, where he, you know, basically posted one of the 15 best offensive seasons in history. And now he's on track to do it again. And then this just bad luck takes place where he slams into the wall, possibly breaks his toe. You know, he's obviously not in the lineup tonight, so we're still not entirely sure that extent of the injury. But you just have to shake your head. I mean, you know, this season has been a weird one in a lot of ways. It's been weird because the Rays have been great. It's weird because the Orioles have surged. The Yankees find themselves, you know, in a position where the rest of the season is going to be an uphill battle just to make the postseason and even have a sniff of winning the division. And then you have Judge just doing his judge thing that we've become accustomed to seeing him do. You start to get guys back from injury, Donaldson's back, Stanton's back, and then this kind of thing strikes. It's hard not to just sort of shake your head and wonder whether this season is cursed. I don't know. <laughs> something something in uh, along those lines. Yeah, Les and I were talking last week
0: because we actually weren't really sure how to properly define the season so far because on the one hand, the Yankees are 10 games above five hundred. And things, at least on a win-loss level, are pretty good. But then when you put it into the context of the division race, where you're six, six and a half, seven games back consistently, it doesn't feel so good. And then you add on top of that all of the injuries that they've already had to deal with this year, which is, at this point, just a yearly occurrence. And it's kind of like, don't really know what to make of this team right now. And we had kind of agreed that the next... Six weeks, we're going to be big in deciding that because you had Stanton coming back, Donaldson coming back, Canely coming back. And at that point, Nestor wasn't hurt and Judge wasn't hurt. And then, of course, three days later, Nestor's probably going to the IL and Judge is also probably going to the IL. Uh, There is some irony with this Judge injury stuff, too, like the big concern with him and giving someone of his stature a nine year contract was that he's very injury-prone. But his injuries, especially his injuries as a Yankee, for the most part at least, or, or a couple that stand out, are just these like freak accidents that would happen to anybody regardless of their size. Judge running into a wall on Saturday for one. And then the other, not sure if you remember, but back in 2018, at the end of July, following obviously his Rookie of the Year campaign that should have been an MVP... He got hit in the hand by Jacob Junis and ended up mm-hmm. missing two months. Yep. So it's really just about of bad luck with this stuff. And Judge is someone who is able to stay healthy and do a pretty good job of staying on the field. I mean, he really showed that last season. Uh, it's really too bad that while he's able to do all that, he still gets unlucky with these injuries. And the effect, the negative effect of him being injured, is immediate. I mean, I opened this podcast by telling you the Yankees were being no-hit through six innings as they're going to the bottom of the seventh now down 3-0. So everything revolves around Judge. I mean, this team is effectively Aaron Judge. So to deal with these kind of nonsense injuries is just so exhausting because it's like, when can this team catch a break? And it kind of seems like never.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, the the only injury that Judge has sustained that's caused him to miss significant time and that you could label as a you know, chronic or muscular type of uh, injury, injury. Right, was the was the oblique in 2019. Yeah. That's the only that's one. That's really it. So, I I I completely agree. I think it, it would be unfair to call Judge an injury-prone player given the track record. And again, you know, we have this situation where, you know, what, what took place over the weekend, and then you have the, you know, the Dodgers president saying, oh, yeah, we got to reinforce the door. So we'll get on that. Oh, man. Um,
0: yeah, so that takes me to what I wanted to talk about next, which is, uh, like you mentioned, uh, in The Athletic today, Ken Rosenthal wrote an article Part of it, or basically the premise, was that yes, the Dodgers plan to reinforce the chain link fence in right field that Judge crashed into on Saturday and add a strip of padding on the concrete portion where he jammed his right big toe, team president Stan Kasten said. Um, we saw this back in May with Chisholm, as Rosenthal mentioned in his article as well, where he ran into the wall and hurt himself because there was just not enough padding. Uh, it's 2023. I think it's time to have slammable walls. Like, we should not be at a point in society where you can run into a wall in the outfield and it can, like, end your career or, at the very least, put you on the IL. Those things need to be pillow soft at this point because the assets running around in the outfield and MLB are worth millions on millions of dollars. Like, this isn't the 1920s where, you know, some dudes off the street are playing out there sometimes. These are valuable assets, and if I'm like an owner or someone heavily invested in the team, I don't want my nine-year, hundreds-of-million-dollars guy hurting himself because there's an uncovered concrete slab on the outfield wall.
1: It's got to be fixed. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you think about other sports that have more contact than baseball. Hockey has had glass, you know, plexiglass boards with a lot of give for as long as hockey's been around. They figured that out because players are going into the boards hard. So you need to have a little bit of give on the wall. So that's how it's been. It should be exactly the same with baseball outfield walls. I mean, I think in today's game, more than probably at any other phase of baseball's history, you have great athletes that are playing the outfield that are going all out to make great catches up against the wall. There should not be any situation where a player that's, that is contributing to the spectacle of a game by trying to make a great catch is also putting their health at risk. Just shouldn't happen. I mean, I also think about, you know, other locations around the league, like, you know, Boston, where you have the metal scoreboard in, in left field, where there's also a short wall out there on the green monster. That thing must hurt going into. And or the same Wrigley, thing we're in right field at just,
0: Yankee Stadium. Where dudes are just running into brick. Yeah. Totally. We shouldn't have to wait for something bad to happen to make these changes. Because eventually the bad thing is going to happen. And it's going to happen to a very expensive player that a team put a lot of resources into. And I don't think that's something that should have to be have to be risked right now. Also, grow the game. It'd be hilarious if dudes were just more open to running full speed into the wall track tracking down fly balls.
1: I'd love that. I think everybody would love that. And I mean, so this isn't exactly the same thing, but it's not baseball does not have a track record of making proactive moves when it comes to safety. And I think about how it took a number of high-profile incidents of fans getting severely injured for them to take the step of extending the netting all the way around the field. You know that only happened. What was it? Two years ago? Was it? I, I can't remember whether, whether it was the season right before the pandemic or right after the pandemic. I think but. it was. Before, I think it was pre-pandemic. You're talking about in Houston, maybe it happened. I know there was
0: a one well, where like a little girl got smashed by a ball. Or you mean the netting being put up? The, the
1: netting being put up. I remember the incident you're talking about. I think it, but I I think think it varied was, by
0: stadium. I think the Yankees were like maybe a little late to it, but I think it varies.
1: Yeah, but I mean it took them – that incident, I know the one that you're referring to, but that wasn't the first time it had happened. It wasn't the first time when a fan had gotten pretty seriously injured. So it's not like baseball – makes moves and does things proactively. They wait and they wait and they wait. And maybe this is the this is the type of precipitating event where you have a star player in the midst of a second consecutive historic season getting hurt, having his season disrupted. Maybe that's the thing that prompts the some sort of universal code around how the outfield wall needs to be protected, what kind of mechanisms need to be in place to ensure the players can't get hurt. I hope this is it. If it is, I mean, the ideal situation is that Judge comes back fast, and this also prompts the league to act. Right, and then you avoid, like, the complete nightmare scenario, uh,
0: which doesn't really come to mind. Like, I can't think off the top of my head, like, a nightmare scenario of something someone high-profile running into the wall. Obviously, there's, like, the Dustin Fowler situation, which is totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, but MLB, obviously, is going to care once it affects... Someone of Judge's stature. So make the change. And running into walls is fun if it doesn't hurt. So maybe it'd be more fun to watch players run full speed into the wall chasing down a fly ball instead of literally be terrified of hitting the wall. And even the ones that are padded, like you go to Yankee Stadium, if you've like felt the pad, like it there's nothing like soft about it. Like if you run into that full speed, it's going to hurt. And it's basically just what I imagine is pretty much cement behind a very, like, firm padded wall. Uh, so, yeah, that's—I've actually never quite understood why it's been like that forever, pretty much. Are they trying to, like, disincentivize fun fun plays? Is that—that that seems like it might be a baseball's alley.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm always one to assign nefarious motives to MLB. I think, in this case, it's just the result of laziness. Like, no one's done anything about it. And in, you know, the 50s and 60s, players weren't running into the wall to make catches. You know, in the 50s and 60s, you had the center field wall at Polo Grounds that was, like, 470 feet from home. It was just a different different time, and I, I just think no one's done anything about it now that, you know, this is a thing that we see now. But, you know, MLB is also super nefarious, and they do goofy shit so maybe that's the case as well who knows
0: yeah and i mean i'm sure there are some injuries from that period you were mentioning that maybe we have forgotten but it's 2023 it's time to get safe people we take all these other measures now to be safe why not that one okay i also thought there were some funny quotes coming out from (laughs) from the dodgers uh this is the same team president, Stan Cast, and he said he didn't go through the door, which is what I thought when I was watching the game. Quote Then I got out there and realized the door doesn't open in that direction. So Judge just completely invo- inverted the outfield
1: door. And he left a dent
0: in the in door. In of itself, should not happen. He then went on to say he actually broke through where some of the panels were joined. The barrier between the two connecting panels, which is unbelievable, Uh, but we're going to strengthen that and add a strip of padding on the bottom as well. Just get out ahead of this stuff, please. Because God forbid it was more serious or it gets more serious and like he goes on the IL and this becomes like a chronic issue for the entire season. The Dodgers should have to pay some of Judge's contract. That's what I think. You should be responsible for having an awful outfield wall.
1: Yeah, I can't argue with that. Yeah, I mean, someone someone like, should bring, bring that idea forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I know Judge is a big guy, but if you're if you if you're damaging a wall just from the force of your body impact, that means it's a shitty wall.
0: Yes, granted, Judge is an outlier of a human being, uh, but even then, it's time to update to accommodate those outliers. Any other thoughts on the togate?
1: I'm choosing to believe that this will not be a long-term issue for judge. I am just going to hope beyond hope that this turns into a non-issue and that we can just laugh at LA for having a bad ballpark. But I do worry.
0: It's a little encouraging that um, it wasn't like an immediate IL thing and like they're still doing tests and all that. Um, The only real fear is that it's like a chronic issue of sorts. So the Yankees just got to hit. Uh, Luis Robert and old friend Andrew Benintendi miscommunicating on a fly ball. So now the Yankees only trail 3-1. Thank you to IKF. Um, some other little items, uh, as we mentioned very briefly, Nestor, I.L. Stint, likely. We kind of spoke about this before the season, but like I, I feel like we had maybe accepted a little bit that like last year was just going to be the best year of his career. Are, like without a doubt and the rest is kind of just gravy like i'm i can't be mad at Nestor. like he was so dominant last year and i'm not surprised that his body is kind of you know punishing him for for it a little bit because he was never used to that workload that he had last year
1: no he wasn't and and he's he's a guy who we knew was punching above his weight in terms of that he doesn't have the stuff of an ace He doesn't have the athleticism of an ace. He makes it work in a wildly impressive fashion with what he has. But we were there were always and I remember us talking about this a few times last year that there were always questions about the longevity of that uh, model. And, you know, this year we're starting to see a bit more of that regression towards the mean. Nonetheless, I mean, he's still. At his best, he's still the team's you know number three starter, and he's very important. and he's a gamer who knows how to get the best out of his stuff, even on days when he doesn't have his best stuff. And you just have to shake your head again at at, at the number of obstacles that have come up. and especially with the pitching, you know, it's like a couple guys or one guy comes back and another guy goes down. It's like they haven't been fully healthy yet this year. And it doesn't look like they're going to be anytime soon.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just not something I'm counting on um, in the Nestor department. And I sort of like, I wrote an article earlier this year about Nestor specifically. Um, And yeah, I really just think last year was, they got everything they could have gotten out of him. Uh, he He just pitched too much. I mean, that was the bottom line. He had never done something like that. Um, and as we see, you know, with the bullpen throughout the season, it's like a very similar thing, but now it's it's kind of carried over into this year. And the biggest red flag was the hamstring injury before spring training, where it's like, hmm, he finished last season with that, and that's still a problem. Red flags everywhere. Um, Last things, Ryan Weber and Greg Allen to the IL. Uh. I mean, you know, Hicks gets DFA'd, uh, hit a homer tonight. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, his quote-unquote replacement, Greg Allen, injured. Another hip injury for Greg Allen. That's kind of like an under-talked-about thing. But Greg Allen has hip problems, is my takeaway. There was a right hip flexor strain. Which is sad, because I like watching him play. Any last housekeeping things you wanted to talk th- Tom, before we got into ups and downs?
1: Yeah, Greg Allen is a fun player, and I feel terrible for Ryan Weber, who, over the course of parts of two seasons now, has played a very important mop up and depth bullpen role for the Yankees, has forced them to keep on bringing him back because he's reliable enough that he's worth bringing back and now might be on the shelf, might go on, you know, might go out for Tommy John. so. Tough break for a guy who's done everything he's been asked to do over two seasons now.
0: i got to say, I'm not too surprised he's getting Tommy John. His throwing motion is hilarious. It's very wacky. It's all arm. It's kind of like that that guy in in middle school that you'd play against that threw really hard, but he had really bad form. But he was Mm -hmm. just like the kid you knew that just was able to rear it back. And that's Ryan Webber, and now you know he's getting—he he might be getting Tommy John, which would be very, very sad. But always fun to watch him pitch because he was like pretty, pretty small out there, had the high socks, and was just kind of like dealing with what seemed to be an effortless motion. Um, but Ryan Webber, much like Ian Hamilton, uh, fun while it lasted. Okay, moving on, ups and downs. I'm going to start with my up of the week uh, because it's a little untimely because this episode's going to come out after this game tonight. And Jake Bowers was just up in a huge spot with runners on first and third with the Yankees down 3-1. Uh, and he had a 3-1 count, and then he ended up just grounding out to the shortstop. So not great there, Jake. But he did have two homers on Saturday, uh, which basically ended up being the reason the Yankees won that game. Um, his first uh, multi-homer game of his career. Uh, and more so, he is my up because he now has a big opportunity staring him in the face. Uh, obviously, Greg Allen to the IL. Oswaldo was just sent down, but he's back already. Uh, but Oswaldo being sent down, we kind of have an idea of what the Yankees kind of think about him. The Yankees want to give Bauer reps. White Sox are going to have three righties going. A lot of red, lot of righties on the Red Sox coming in this weekend as well. So if there were ever a time for former top prospect Jake Bowers to kind of get his career in the trajectory that it was supposed to go, um, it's now. Uh, and and Brendan Cuddy had a had a big, big article on him in the Athletic, kind of harping on this. Um, I didn't know this. Uh, but in tw- in 2018, he was the 45th prospect in baseball going
1: into the season. Did you have, did you have, did you remember that? I remember he was a highly ranked prospect, but I don't think I would have said he was 45th in the game. I don't think I would have guessed he was that high. Mm-hmm. Well, he was terrible
0: uh, when he started playing on the major league level. And then Tampa Bay traded him to Cleveland. Where he hit 226 in 117 games, uh, didn't get a single at bat in the majors in the 60-game regular season in 2020, and then in 2021 was bad again with Cleveland, and was DFA'd uh, in June of 2021, um, before getting traded to the Mariners, where he finished batting 209 for the season. Uh, that winter, then he signed with Cincinnati. And he never got to the big leagues, as he hit just 135 in Triple A. Wow! Uh, and then the Yankees came along, acquired him from Cincinnati uh, for money uh, h- halfway through the season, and here he is now with a opportunity that I'm sure he uh, he's acutely aware of um, to maybe insert himself as an everyday player to some degree. Um, with Judge hurt, Greg Allen out, Hicks gone, Oswaldo struggling, um, kind of feels like one of those last big opportunities for someone's career, and I just hope that Jake Bowers makes the most of it. Uh, but I will be honest, I am not completely sold uh, that that he will. I think he's got occasional pop and can take a couple guys deep, but I don't I don't personally think that he will become a consistent hitter in this lineup this season.
1: Not sure if you feel any differently about that. Yeah. I mean, he's always been a big exit velocity guy, which I think is probably the reason why the Yankees brought him in, because that's kind of their prototype. And, you know, we heard, we've heard all of the normal things that we always hear, you know, swing change. He's been coached up all these kind of things. And I have enough of a belief in the Yankees to be able to get the max output out of a guy because they've done it so many times in previous years. You know, I always go back to Gio Urshela. Kind of a similar career trajectory. Not that he was as highly ranked as Bowers, but a guy who, you know, was never known as really all that much of a hitter, comes to New York, tweaks some things, becomes an all-star. Um, so it's, you know, they've done it before, but I don't think there's enough well-roundedness to Bowers, you know, offensive game where you really peg him as a, as a guy who's going to be anything more than a replacement. But, you know, I think he endeared himself to us all with his sacrificing his body to make that great catch in Texas, in his first inning as a Yankee. And thankfully he wasn't injured too badly on that play. Now he's back, he's producing, so... There is, as you said, a vacuum right now where he has the chance to carve out a role for himself. So, a guy who's easy to root for, you know. He does seem like he really wants to be a Yankee. He's excited to be a Yankee. So, I'm rooting for him, you know. Definitely full throated support from me. I mean, I, I hope he continues to have success. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his numbers now, they're unbelievable. He's batting 238,
0: but he's got a 342 OBP and a 524 slug with a 366 weighted on-base average and a 388 expected weighted on-base average uh, with a 136 WRC+. Plus. Those are incredible numbers. However, I don't really know how sustainable they are. Uh, the projections don't love him. And naturally, with what we have available to us, I'm gonna lean that way. Uh, but that again, some of the projections are a, little, are a little mean to minor leaguers, but sometimes they're really nice to basically minor league guys. But just from what I'm watching, at least, I'm not in love with, with Bowers as just like a pure hitter. Um, and I think against lefties, he'll just struggle. But I am very much hoping I'm wrong about him, but I don't really think he'll be much more of like a 100 WRC plus or more hitter uh, at least this season. But we'll see. So my down of the week is Garrett Cole. Now, if you listened to, like, the first, I don't know, 10 episodes of this podcast this season, all we could do is talk about, at least before the season, how underrated Garrett Cole was. And then in the first six starts, kind of praising him for, and this is kind of on us, becoming, like, more of a pitcher, we had a conversation where we were talking about how he was being a little more methodical about how he was pitching. Uh, but I'll offer this up to you, Matt. Uh, is it possible that he was just worse and the results weren't showing themselves yet? Because the expected numbers are, for Garrett Cole's standards, pretty terrifying. Um, 3.85 expected ERA, a 397 X FIP. His K percentage is down to 26%. He has lived above 30 his entire career. His walk percentage is up 2% from his previous last season. Last seasons. He usually lives in around like the 6.5% range. This year it's around 85 And he's allowed eight home runs in his last six starts after allowing wow. no home runs through his first seven starts. So are we worried about Garrett Cole? Because he has a 282 ERA, which is like on the surface awesome. But the peripheral stuff is actually fairly concerning. And I can't quite decide if he's just like bad, like just worse now, or is maybe trying different things. What are you to make of what is at least? Expected ERA-wise, Garrett Cole's worst season since 2017.
1: Yeah, so a, a few things I'll mention. So, first of all, no, I don't think he's bad now. That is an important fact. That was a— uh, straight.
0: Yeah, I had to quickly correct myself to worse. Yeah, then, again, I, I actually, then again, a lot of people would call a 3.85 ERA pitcher bad.
1: Right. I think in today's day and age, that's a pretty like solid starter. But in any event, I think that so so some of the peripherals I don't think are too alarming. So looking in particular at his fly ball rate, that stayed about the same. His barrel percentage is actually down this year from his first three seasons as a Yankee. So he was at nine point five percent last year. He's at eight point six percent now. Uh, his hard hit percentage is essentially stable over the course of his Yankee tenure. As you said, probably the most alarming thing is that his strikeouts are down and his walks are up. So that is something to keep an eye on for sure. But I think the biggest reason why we saw the dominant Garrett Cole over the first six weeks of the season and a less dominant Garrett Cole since then is because his fly, his home run per fly, per fly ball rate has stabilized. You know, it was unsustainably low at the beginning of the year. And now he started to give up the homers again. And the homers have always been a part of his profile. So it's not that it, that's different now than it's ever been. It's just that for the first six weeks of the season, it was insane how he wasn't giving up homers. And now he's sort of, you know, just sort of regressed back to the mean that we've come to expect over the course of his career. So all to say, I don't see anything too terrible in his contact profile. The lack of strikeouts is a bit concerning. The fact that his average fastball velocity is down about one mile an hour this year versus last year is a bit of a red flag, although it is still early in the season as well. And he will, of course, gain velocity as the weather continues to warm. So there's some stuff to be concerned about. There's some stuff that's just a product of expected changes over the course of a season. But but I think it is worth keeping an eye on that velocity, seeing if he's able to start striking out more hitters as the season proceeds. Those are the kind of things that I'll keep an eye on. But I don't think he's magically morphed into an average pitcher.
0: Yeah, I would say the the one thing that's concerning a little more concerning to me is just like the complete change from his first seven starts to his last six. So in his first seven starts, he had eight or more strikeouts five times, twice of which he had more than 10. And then in his last six starts, he has eight or more strikeouts just once. Now, slight caveat. First seven games, Giants, Phillies, Guardians, Twins, Blue Jays, Rangers, Guardians. Last six starts, Tampa, Tampa, Toronto, Baltimore, San Diego, than the Dodgers. So the quality of teams that he has faced in his last six games has been fairly better than the first seven. So that I don't know if that even gives you peace of mind for Garrett, uh, because to me, then it kind of puts him somewhere in the middle. Whereas you would expect Garrett Cole to... Kind of be matchup-proof and dominant, regardless of who he's playing. But it seems like now, maybe against these deeper lineups, he's liable to struggle a bit more. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And he exited the game on uh, Saturday with cramps. Should be fine. Uh, he's a serial banana demolisher, so I don't know how he could have possibly gotten a cramp. Uh, just drink more water, I guess. But been, been a weird seven starts for Garrett Cole. And he's going to probably start against Boston this weekend, who, as we know, has given him fits time and time again. So I don't know. I'm, I would say my uh, my alarm, the alarm bells are ringing a little bit for me with Cole because he's never had an ex- he's never had expected numbers close to four. And they're there this year and the last seven starts have been pretty discouraging. So we'll see.
1: But let's get to your up and down. So my up is a sentimental one. I have to say that it was... I I felt some type of way, a very unique way, seeing Tommy Canely take the mound in a Yankees uniform in 2023. He was a player that I was so attached to back in the day because not only was he great, and he was a staple of those awesome bullpens in 2017, 2018, 2019, but he's also just a fun guy. He was always... The sort of like energy guy in the locker room in the bullpen. There's that famous video of him in 2019 running around in the bullpen after judge hits a home run, just a great, fun player, productive player. And I was sad when, when he left, even though he's an Eagles fan, that's the one thing I'll hold against him, but he's back. And he had a successful first inning of work in his return I will say that it's not all positive there. I mean, his average fastball velocity is far down from the peak of his career, which you would expect from a guy who's now 33 years old. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily something to be super alarmed about. Uh, I think he'll we'll see that he's sort of a different kind of pitcher now than he was when he was a Yankee last time. He's probably going to need to adjust some things, change his pick his pitch mix. He's not going to be a, you know, fastballs up in the zone change up pitcher anymore because he doesn't have that kind of velocity but i am hoping that he will be a staple of the bullpen for the rest of the year and just everything's come full circle in a way that's really you know it's really fun and really endearing so he's my up of the week any thoughts about canely
0: so i'll say this about Kainley, and i agree with you so much about like the sentimental aspect uh, that he brings because i attach him to that 2017 run which is the most fun I've had as a Yankee fan in a very long time. And I think Yankee fans have been chasing the high of 2017 since that season, but that's a podcast for a rainy day. Um, And the biggest hit in that playoffs, and this is kind of like the memory I have from that run was Gary's go ahead, double in the eighth inning of game four goes without saying is to Gary lovers ourselves. Also, Gary Sanchez doing very well right now. We might just have to cover that later. But the reason I bring that up is because the double in the gap was straight towards the bullpen. And in that highlight, there's three guys from the bullpen just going nuts on that bench out there. And I'm like 99% sure one of them was Tommy Canely. So every time I think of that highlight, I think of not only Gary Sanchez, but also Tommy Kainley, And that makes me very happy. And thus I attach Canely to all those fun memories from 2017. So I agree with you. That's a great up. It's good to have Tommy back just because he makes things fun.
1: Yes, he does. Am I down very sadly because maybe my favorite Yankee of the last decade, Luis Severino, my golden oh, boy. yes. I, I have to give him a down because of how badly he was shelled against the Dodgers on Friday, giving up six runs in that first inning, then kind of writing the ship, interestingly enough, being pretty good the rest of the way, but a bad, bad first inning and some indications that something might more seriously be wrong. His velocity was down. Was he tipping his pitches? Maybe, but velocity being down for Severino is never a good thing because when he's a 98-99 fastball pitcher, He's elite. He's one of the best in the game. When he's a 95, 96 mile an hour fastball pitcher, he's just okay. And with Nestor going down, with Rodon and Montas still being weeks or months away from returning, the Yankees cannot afford to have Severino being just okay. He has to be great. He has to be great. That's just that's just the way it is. So hopefully he bounces back next time and it's nothing. But you have to be concerned after seeing what happened on Friday. Yeah.
0: So on the velo front, uh, Seve after the game, <laughs> I don't know. if This is just pitcher talk. Uh, but said, "quote I don't notice if I'm throwing hard. Uh, for me, the main thing is location. If I can throw a 95 where I want, I would. If I can throw a 95 where I want, I would rather throw a 99 where I want. But a 95, I can get through a lineup." Pardon me for remembering that there used to be a 99 Sevi that could locate as well. Yes. And if you're 95, you better be locating like Picasso, man. So, yes, I don't like dropped VLO Sevi. I don't think it spells good things moving forward. And yeah, there's not much leeway in the Yankees' rotation right now. And I don't know how much longer I can take going to Yankee stadium and watching Clark Schmidt pitch. This needs to stop. We were supposed to go into this season with one of the best rotations in baseball. And it has deteriorated to Randy Vasquez starting tomorrow. So I'm not happy about it. And I don't want to hear Seve say that I'm trying to throw 95 where I want. It's like, that's discouraging to me. Don't capitulate to the velo drop. So I'd like to see it come back, especially since he gave up seven runs in an inning. So yeah, I mean, it's a deserving down. I know it hurt a little bit, but it had to be done. Any other thoughts? Anyone we we maybe like missed an honorable mention? Donaldson for an up.
1: Okay, I've already compromised my morals enough by giving Severino a down in this pod. I'm not going to go further by giving Donaldson an up. But in a very Josh Donaldson fashion comes back first game, hits two home runs. Then his second game goes over four with two strikeouts. So much of what we've come,
0: we've come to expect Josh Donaldson experience, man.
1: All right. So before we sign off,
0: I was uh, going through just, I was just watching the Rangers game uh, last night and was watching Corey Seager hit and his bat kind of acts as just like a heat seeking, seeking missile to the ball. He is as locked in as they come. He's batting above 350. He has the highest, second highest WRC plus in baseball right now, or maybe in the American League. But it got me thinking about that 2022 free agency craze uh, with him and Correa and sort of the the absolute twister that put Yankees fans through. So why don't we kind of look back? At Corey Seager and Carlos Correa and then where the Yankees are now with Anthony Pulpe because the way I remember it everyone wanted Correa I was screaming from the hilltops that I wanted Corey Seager who now has a 180 WRC plus looking back on it do you think things worked out fine for the Yankees basically I'm asking did the stopgap plan end up not being all that bad because as you'll get into Correa has been terrible and it never really seemed like there was much of a chance with Seager so did the Yankees dodge a bullet by not getting Correa or
1: did they miss a huge opportunity by not getting Seager So my answer to that question is that I think it's still too early to tell because it's Anthony Volpe has had a really weird rookie year, right? He's on yes. pace for something like 25 home runs, but he's also he also has he's also been a below average offensive player. And he's been good at times, poor at other times defensively. So it's too early to say. Um, Correa is having a terrible season with the bat. He's still been a plus in the field. And I think they're, you know, last year with Minnesota, he sported that 140 WRC plus with good defense. So he's not even a season removed from an all-star camp all-star type campaign. Corey Seeker's been excellent offensively, one of the best hitters in the game this year, a terrible defender. Both players in the season plus that they've been with their new teams have been good to great. Whereas the Yankees have Volpe, who has shown flashes, I would say is the way to phrase that in the early going. So all's to say, yeah, I think if we see this season's worth of production from Correa moving forward, and he does not improve offensively, you might start to say, well, maybe the Yankees did sign a dodge a bullet by not signing him to a long-term deal. But I still think that. Where the Yankees are at organizationally, the goal has to be winning a championship now. I thought that needed to be their approach going into last year. I think you can make the argument that having Correa in 2022 over having Isaiah kiner starting at shortstop every day might have, if not made the difference, contributed significantly to a deeper, more competitive postseason run than the Yankees had. But I don't know. It's it's hard to play the hindsight game. It's also hard to evaluate fully this year when things have been as weird as they've been for all three players. So I don't know. I don't have a definitive answer to that question.
0: Yeah, and it's just like also the fact that if Correa did have that 2022 season on the Yankees, would the Yankees then feel so compelled to give him a huge extension? and then deal with the ramifications of his injuries later. And then on the flip side of that, the Yankees just gave a huge contract to a star, star starting pitcher that has not played yet and doesn't seem like he'll be playing anytime soon. So, yes, the point being in all of this, I think the Yankees missed their their golden goose in Corey Seager. And that is, you know, if obviously Volpe doesn't work out, um, is going to be one that I'll be thinking about for a while. Because I just think Corey Seeker's an MVP caliber player. He's a lefty hitter. He would fit in very well at Yankee Stadium. And yeah, it makes me sad. Because he might just carry the Rangers to an AL West title this year. Even with Jacob deGrom being out for the season with Tommy John surgery. But that was one heck of an offseason. I remember that was when Toe and I... Uh, we're, we're big on our, the, I don't know if you remember the clubhouse app, uh, but we would go on that thing like daily talking about, that's kind of how this podcast started. Uh, that's kind of how Yankee fans. Are we happy today? Started. We would have like 10 people in there, like, ev- like every other day at like four thirty just talking about the Yankees. And we would ask Yankee fans. Are we happy today? And the most common response was no, because Carlos Correa isn't a Yankee yet. And here I am being upset that Corey Seeger's not a Yankee, but alas. One can only hope that Anthony Volpe can make all that go away,
1: right? That's right. And I think there's still—there's been plenty of evidence that he is up to the task. Now we just have to start seeing the consistency. Because this is it. I mean, this was the whole reason they didn't do anything at the shortstop market,
0: because of this kid. And they brought him up arguably early. The immediate results haven't been perfect. They haven't been horrendous. They haven't been great. There's, It's hard to identify what they are. I think a lot of people are giving him a pass because he's super young. He literally looks like a child out there. And he has hit some big homers and, you know, has come up big in some spots. And, you know, when you, com- when you compare someone to, like, Derek Jeter and, like, a young Yankee shortstop Yankee fans are going to fawn all over it. So Volpe has the benefit of having a pretty long leash. But if he has, like, an IKF season offensively, what are we doing here?
1: It has to go well. You're right. This is the linchpin.
0: If yeah, this, this does
1: not work out, the whole thing was a failure, for sure.
0: Yeah, which I thought was something that I would like, that had just come to my mind. I was like, oh, no, this is, this is the thing. You didn't get Corey Seager, who is going to be in the MVP conversation, and now Anthony Volpe better be good. So that's where I wanted to leave us off today. Uh, Just praying that Anthony Volpe doesn't make us look back on that free agency class and be like, "Whoa, Corey Seager was a hell of a player that they missed out on." Anything else before we hop off? (laughs) Again, in perfect fashion, we're going to the bottom of the ninth at Yankee Stadium with the Yankees trailing by two. It seems like every time we record, that is the case. The Yankees are trying to mount some sort of comeback. We've had some moments where, right as we've ended something crazy has happened. So one can only hope that we keep that mojo going.
1: Gary Sanchez.
0: Yeah. Yeah, true. I mean, as, as two of the biggest Gary Sanchez supporters on this podcast, um, Mm -hmm. it really does actually. And this is, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like it genuinely makes me so happy to see him doing well, not only on a team, but like on a contending team. Like, it's one thing if he's swinging the bat well in, like, Washington or, like, God forbid, Oakland. But it's another thing if he's going to a team like the Padres and actually helping them win games, which he has done already, which he did last night by hitting a two-run home run. I just hope that he stays on the roster for the entire season and doesn't continue just being, like, this guy that's kind of passed around the league and doesn't really find a home.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm realistic enough at this stage to acknowledge that, like, the likelihood it is that he has a hot streak for two weeks and then goes back to hitting 200. But if Gary Sanchez hits 20 home runs for the Padres this year, I will buy a Padres Gary Sanchez jersey, and I will wear it on the I mean, pod I'm, I'm probably during the playoffs. That. I'm probably going
0: to do that anyway. I'm actually going to San Diego later this year. So I'll put this out now. If Gary Sanchez is starting for the Padres in the Padres game that I will be going to on August 5th, I believe, I will buy an authentic, authentic Gary Sanchez 99 Padres jersey and wear it on the pod. Hold me to my word on that.
1: Great. i look forward to it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i don't even know if they would sell those to be honest
1: yeah probably not you might have to get one you might have to like order one and like customize it easy i'd do that in a heartbeat
0: and <laughs> the other ironic part was uh, a couple pods ago before we went to the mets uh toe and i were talking and i jokingly said the second gary sanchez gets signed to a team and is playing i'll be at the game." And then, to my luck, the Mets signed him and he played the next night. And then I was very fraudulent and didn't go to the game. Sad. Sad. As a Gary Sanchez lover, that's uh, pretty unacceptable behavior. But yeah, that, I guess, will wrap us up. Hopefully, the Yankees can make somewhat, something happen off Liam Hendricks. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at PinstripePurse. It's at Pinstripe, P E R S. Uh, the handle name is NYY Takes. You can follow Matt on Twitter at mcgerald 14 You can follow myself at rcoles 206 Hopefully we will have Toe and Les joining us next week as Donaldson just hit a nuke off Liam Hendricks. So we're going to wrap up this pod and hope that we get the good mojo going, as we tend to do, and will the Yankees to a win by wrapping up right before they come back. So without further ado, thank you all for listening. Subscribe to the pod so you don't miss an episode. Hit that follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And go Yanks.